Hello, Monday. You stop the that you do. It's Monday. It's October. So we're here again, and I'm, I, I gotta say, I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to be here with you because I just, you know, I can't get enough this time of year. And as I always say, it is a nice, I don't know, it's a nice reward at the end of a hot season, hot, sticky, humid season. Good. Now comes the refreshing autumn. But, uh, you know, we're still going to have some days in the 70s and low 80s this week. And but I think all the humidity is gone. We'll still have some mosquitoes for the next few weeks until they die a righteous death, a righteous seasonal death. And, uh, and you and I will carry on doing what we do. And it's going to start tonight with a return visit by Mike Williams, Sage of Quay. When Mike was on, I believe back in August, early August, to do the Beatles conspiracy, I told him, let's get you back on the show as early as we could. That turned out to be October so that we can do a follow-up. I have a couple of questions that the audience sent in uh, after the last time he was on. And then I want to expand it beyond just the, the Beatles into the machine behind the Beatles, the occult machine behind the Beatles, and all of entertainment. Not just that. Um, of course, many of you out there listened to the show and said, hey, it was very entertaining, entertaining. but I think there's a lot more um, believable explanations as to why these four young lads were able to put out so much music in such a, a small amount of time without it being, you know, some... Uh, uh, Freemasonic uh, ghostwriting session. But you never know. You never know. Sometimes some people get a little help. And it's not without uh, not without other admissions. Admissions from all over the, the music uh, industry. About selling souls for success. I mean, uh, one of the more popular instances of that being made public is Bob Dylan. Which I kind of listen. I know that there's, there's probably a lot of Dylan fans out there in the in the audience, but I never understood it. Well, you had to be around for it. Maybe I, I I doubt that I would understand it, even if I was around for it. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Ah, I don't know. I can see how Bob Dylan needed the help from Satan to get uh, to become popular, because you know. Well, I guess like I said before, just not my cup of tea. But it seems like something that would need a little bit of a shot in the arm from a dark entity to catch on. Anyhow, uh, that's what we're going to have tonight. And here's what I'll say. I encourage you all to send some questions in real time. I'm going to bring on Mike Williams around 720. We're going to start a little bit earlier. And because we have book club tonight at 830 with Jay Dyer. It's session number one for The Godfather. And if you have been reading... You've been enjoying yourself a spicy little trip into the world of Pulp Fiction uh, writing, and it's it is it is really fun, especially if you've seen the movie. It's it's a lot of fun. I I read past what I had to read because I just kept, I wanted to keep going. So and I'll reread obviously, but you guys and gals, you should really just jump on this one. I always say it: stop letting these books pass you by, stop letting it happen. But that's what we have tonight. 
That's what we have. If you have any questions, though, because Mike Williams, all of his commentary goes beyond Billy Shears and the the Beatles conspiracy, though he, that he has a lot of material out there, and we probably only scratched the surface. But if you have any questions about that, or any questions in general about social engineering and all that other you can you can send in super chats through quite frankly superchat.com i'll be monitoring that in real time throughout the show there's also the rumble rants i'll i'll make sure to keep a uh, keep a keep an eye on and then also there are the the gold pills on foxhole so that's how you can be in the mix with tonight's show and then after we get off with mike and the time that we have between the ending of that call and the ending of the show in general, I'll be going to some calls and some super chats and clear those all out. Tomorrow should be good. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going to be great. It's all lining up. Just just nice. And a lot of great things are happening on the network side of things as far as planning for Halloween specials, especially next week. When I go to the mountains for a little while on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, especially that Friday. Next Friday is Friday the 13th. So there'll probably be like a Friday the 13th marathon with other things mixed in on the the site. And we'll see what else we can do. All right. Let's get to some grab bags. And I also want to thank my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. Also, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. Uh, there is a lot of flux in the world right now, and of course, financial flux is the biggest thing, making people wonder what the hell, what the hell's going on? Should I go traditional? Should I go what? What do I do to save what little I have? Well, no matter what you decide, you should definitely have some physical assets mixed in, and if you've never bought a ounce of silver in your life, Wise Wolf Gold and Silver at QuiteFrankly.Gold is probably the best thing that you can do to start that off because no order is too small and then please go look at all the other wonderful friends that we have on the affiliates page on quite frankly.tv and start all of your holiday shopping start it all start it all we've got everything well we don't have everything but we got great stuff all right there you have it there you have it first one up this is some sad news former red sox knuckleballer tim wakefield dies at age 57 he had brain cancer. Nobody knows. Uh, nobody knew. And all of a sudden, we saw. The, I saw this trending, and that really just sucks because, I mean, he was on the Red Sox during the time when I had so much visceral hatred for them, and that rivalry. That rivalry was so alive. Nothing got it. It was. It was never worse as it was in two thousand three. Um, but I think that's the, that was the height of it all. But still, Tim Wakefield was one of those unassuming guys in the mix of all that stuff. And he was a knuckleballer. So it's like if you, you, you can't even get any chin music from a, a knuckleballer. If you get hit with a knuckleball, it's like getting hit with a water balloon. But still, you know, it's just sad. It's just sad to see it all go away. Uh, and, and things like this happen. And especially he's leaving behind a... A young family, so all all the all the best in the world to his family, and that's just really horrible to hear. You know, it's a little. I was talking to Jay Gulanello about Yankees and Red Sox, and not, not even just those two uh, uh, teams in particular. Though, if you're a fan of either franchise, then you know what that has meant 
at least years ago, since like 2007, 8, it's really all been done. Um, there's really nothing left. But it, it's more so remembering a time when it meant so much more. And having that just be bleached of all of its importance, cosmic importance, and, and, and why that is important. You say, well, that's a good thing, Frank. Well, no, not entirely. Not entirely. Uh, athletics, fandom, uh, supporting a team, what that meant for small towns or big cities, whatever the hell, where you are from and supporting a team. That, that is a really important part of you know community building in a truly healthy nation. It really is. Things like that are really important. And it sucks to feel to, it sucks to feel it go away. Not to have a crutch or a some sort of a you know uh, an overdone distraction go away, but just to have that presence of that excitement, that buzz for something innocent and pure gone, or at least I don't know mutated in some way that's not not uh, very positive, not serving anymore, not serving anybody's best interests anymore. But we'll see what the future holds. There's always rebirth, right? That I know. All right, here's another one. A little failure to launch. You want to talk about healthy culture. Here's something for you. New York Post, I'm a rent-a-mom for Generation Z college students. Parents, they pay me $10,000 to cook, do laundry, and bail their children out of jail. Like any good mom, when one of their kids calls, Tammy Kuman comes running. No matter the time of day or night, the biological parent of three and a grandmother of six from Boston does it all, even in her 70s. Emergency grocery shopping, cooking, and laundry. She's even jumped on a plane in the wee hours to bail out one of her youngsters of a Miami jail and has rushed to the bedsides of people in New York emergency rooms. However, Kuman isn't the actual mother of the kids who she's catering to in these 911 binds. She's simply a rent-a-mom. I'm a mom away from mom, a total support system for students, Kuman said. She's the founder of Concierge Services for Students. We get kids in pre-boarding schools, boarding schools, or college, and we take care of their practical needs, medical needs, mental health needs, and beyond. Uh, I, now, this... I mean, I, I guess if you see a need and you know that there is a market that is untapped that people will pay, even if the things that you're doing that people are willing to pay for seem ridiculous. I, I, I give her credit for seeing a, an untapped market and taking advantage of it. But this is ridiculous. $10,000 per academic year and parents can depend on her to bring food deliveries, academic assistance, beauty and spa appointment bookings, aid in making dinner reservations and signing up for gym memberships, apartment hunting, uh, furniture building, party planning, doctor referrals, summer storage. You can't do this for yourself? What are you going? I, everybody say, well, you're going to college to prepare to be a, an adult. This is what life is all about. All of that shit is what life really is. Food, getting your own food. Booking beauty and spa appointments. I mean, I don't even do that for myself, but whatever. If I wanted to, I know how to do it. Same as ordering pizza. Aid in making dinner reservations. You call up 
a restaurant and you say, can I have a table for two at 5.30 p.m.? Yes, I know it's early, but I've got a three-year-old with me. You know, but it's apartment hunting, future furniture building. What the hell is this 70-year-old woman going to do to build you your furniture? She's going to find somebody else? Party planning. Wow. When the college kids can't plan their own parties anymore, that's something else. Doctor's referrals, summer storage, as well as banking and bill payment support. So, uh, again, this is the, the, the generation that doesn't know how to write a letter. That doesn't know what corners to put, what return address, where does the stamp go, all that shit. I guess writing a check is more and more obsolete, but this is, this is insane. This is insane. Is college really preparing at least these kids for what are they being prepared for nothing nothing i would rather a child skip college altogether and learn to do all of those things on their own they would be so much better off as far as being a functional part of society anyway anyway there you have it rent a mom for a generation z for those of you who have an extra ten thousand dollars Sponsor, uh, quite frankly, and and make your kid do something for themselves. That's all I'll say. All right. What else do we have over here? Oh, uh, I heard you've heard about uh, Jamal Bowman, a representative from over here in New York. Very courageous man. His middle name is Meatball, I heard. Jamal Meatball Bowman, uh, he wanted to delay vo- votes. Okay, so this is the, the, the delaying, the interruption, and the uh, obstruction of, a pers- of an official proceeding in Congress. All right? There are people, there are people who have been given decades in jail who weren't even on the campus of the Capitol during January 6th mosh pit, okay, during the Bay of Pigs. There are people who have been given decades, and here's a guy... Here's a guy that obstructed an official proceeding by pulling a fire alarm, but he's a black Democrat, and I, I, uh, I wonder if they're going to. I don't. What, what is he going to get? What's he going to get? A rub down. He'll get a rub down. He'll. They'll, they'll give him a, uh, a gift certificate to Massage Envy, so that he can recover from all the stress of making such an egregious mistake. An, or, or I should say a, a an honest mistake because his office, Jamal Bowman, his office sent out a uh, this guidance to House Democrat offices looking for social media backup on the fire alarm situation. One proposed and, and, and with this came rebuttals. One re, one proposed rebuttal is this quote, Republicans need to instead focus their energy on the Nazi members of their party before anything else. All right. Now, here is some of the uh, the guidance. Listen to this. What happened? This is the note that's been sent out to House Democrats. What happened? On his way to votes today, Congressman Jamal Meatball Bowman was trying to leave. He was just he was trying to leave the Cannon House office building through the exit he regularly uses for votes. He was rushing. See how you see he was trying to leave. He was rushing. He obviously he was just it was like an obstacle course. Okay, it was like an American ninja warrior. You can, or you can, in your head, you can see Jamal Bowman fighting his way out of this building. He's just trying like hell. 
He was rushing to the House floor vote to prevent himself from missing a vote. He was rushing. I didn't want to miss a vote. He needed to be there. And due to confusing signage and an honest mistake, you know the con- the confusing signage where it's it's a uh, a big red and white lever that says fire emergency. Very confusing to meatball. He pulled the alarm in an attempt to open the door. How many times have you ever pulled a fire alarm to try to get the door to open, folks? <laughs> he was not attempting to delay the vote that he intended to vote yes on and was simply just trying to rush to the Capitol. Henceforth, MAGA Republicans have used this as an opportunity to distract from their attempt to shut government down and to minimize the January 6th insurrectionists. And then, of course, suggested talking points. Um, friendly media articles to back up your suggested talking points and and there you have it this will go away and people will continue to rot in jail and they will love it they will love it we are under the yoke of vampires it's not even just bad histrionic mentally ill people we're talking about vampires my friends And it's October 2nd. I know I've got vampires on the mind, but it's just true. That's where we are now. We live in Transylvania. Now, here's another one for you. One last thing before we go. I think this is one last thing before we go. Is it? Yeah. Here is Victoria Sparts. She is a House representative. I believe a Republican. She is a immigrant from Ukraine so I'm sure she's you know all all for the war and against Putin I don't know I don't know if she's criticized any of the you know any of the um, the emerging the emerging uh, pictures and the revelations about what is really running Ukraine I, I don't I don't know who knows but I spe- but on this one issue over here we're talking about We're talking about immigration and a few other things. This is from September 29th. Victoria Sparks goes and shreds, they say, shreds Democrat sheeps on the floor of Congress. This was posted by The Blaze. And I want you to listen to this because um, this is why the Uniparty doesn't like actual immigrants. Actual immigration. People who come here from especially former Soviet states and understand what the end game for all of our patty, our socialist patty cake is in places like this. So, you know, it's only a minute 53, so I figure we play uh, play a little bit of it. Take a listen to uh, Representative Victoria Sparts. All right, yo, two minutes to my friend from Indiana, Ms. Sparts. Gentleman is recognized. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, unfortunately, um, muscle memory is very strong in Washington, D.C., Unfortunately, Wall Street and K Street are very powerful in Washington, D.C. But fortunately, we have people on the Republican side that are willing to stand up for the Main Street, willing to challenge their own leadership to deliver on issues of national security. And it used to be this institution went through tougher time. We deliberate a lot of issues, but we used to be able to come together on issues of national security and our border security and our 
destructive debt situation is destroying American lives. And I hope the other side will join Republicans to win this battle for the American people. It shouldn't be a political issue politicized. And if this government cannot deliver, maybe it's worse to shut it down. What it's for then? If we cannot come together on this, then we're not worthwhile to represent the American people. So I hope that the other side stop, side stop being sheep and start actually not be afraid to challenge their own leadership and do something for this country because American people are sick and tired of us being worthless and we need to protect this country because if we don't save this republic, no one else you know, around the world will be able to defeat a lot of enemies, foreign and domestic. And I'll tell you one thing, there is nothing reasonable and extreme to serve the people to secure us the border and deal with our debt. I would appreciate if other sides wakes up and support Republicans. And I yield back. I yield two yeah, yeah, there's nothing extreme about paying your debt and not spending more than you take in and preventing a major decades-long invasion that is completely supplanting the... Uh, the native population here and of course the 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 civic culture there's nothing uh but there is but there is because all that none of that is that is not a those are not mistakes these are not just like oh we're, we're, we're tumbling we're fumbling we're bumbling we're making all these mistakes oh wow oh suddenly it's just a, it's a wash with uh foreign uh, uh foreign nationals and Nobody speaks the same language, and uh, half of the country wants uh, communism. The other half wants a, a race war. The other half, yes, there's many halves. Nobody knows math anymore. There's no more cursive. Uh, and there's $33 trillion worth of debt that will never be repaid. Ever. So, yes, it wasn't very controversial. It would have been considered common sense at one time. But uh, that is the reason why actual immigration is not something that the Uniparty is is really has any any interest in, because you'll get people like that who have seen the darker side of government all around the world and wanted to, co to come here to throw down and to build their fortune and their families and be proud of that. That's not the case anymore. Now it's Reconquista time. That's what that's all up. All right, 712. Let's get this one started. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Mike Williams, the Sage of Quay. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
Okay. So, how's everybody's first two days of October been so far? Pretty nice over here for me. Breathing it all in. You know, we are going to have a little, a little something to a little, a little mini Y2K moment is going to be happening this week. On October 4th, we mentioned it last week that there was going to be a test of the emergency alert system that's going to be sent out through text and, I don't know, radio, tell, I don't know how many, how many devices they're going to hit with this. But it's not a regular, well, nothing's regular anymore. It's not a regular emergency alert. Like when we used to sit around and the television and be watching something and all of a sudden you get the uh, the multicolored screen. This is a test of the emergency alert system. If this were a real emergency, blah, 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 blah. Well, this time, people are wondering whether or not this alert that goes out is going to actually trigger a, uh, <laughs> is going to trigger a biological event because it might activate some technology that has been embedded in the average person. Which I would, you know, that, that is a little bit more of like a Seasons of the Witch kind of an idea, which I'm, it's an interesting thought that I guess we'll know in 48 hours, you know, if people's heads start exploding. But, um, but yeah, that, that is, that is just something that's been kicked around 5G related. Is this, the, you know, is this going to be uh, a mass event? I've been, I, I, I was told something over the weekend. I was told something over the weekend from a friend of mine who uh, works a lot with uh, around lobbyists, and they are uh, they are still talking a lot about how there's going to be a, sh a likely shutdown. Uh, maybe not. Obviously, there's always changing plans, and the, and the the grounds are always shifting. Especially as as people become a little bit more aware of one thing and a little bit more not accepting of the other. Game plans shift. They always do. But wouldn't a, an August 4th activation or October 4th activation date that triggers a shutdown? For, so we'll see. That's the best thing about something being 48 hours away. It's only 48 hours away. All right. So our guest tonight, Mike Williams. The last time Mike Williams was on, we were able to start from the beginning. A lot of the thoughts, you know, there's a lot of people out there, especially when we talk about entertainment, we talk about the bigger names, and, and especially during transformative times in American history, cultural history, when you look at the 1960s, the 1970s, uh, fewer names are bigger than the Beatles. And we also talk about Laurel Canyon, crazy synchronicities of the, of this, the, the connections between major popular culture um, icons, musicians, artists that all seemingly have less than two degrees of separation from military intelligence, whatever it is, and then we just see the way that things shift, how the mindset of the average American shifts, how education shifts, the messaging in media, how it becomes a little bit more, uh, it goes from occulted, covert, to a little bit more overt, and that's what we have. We have the questions of where did it all come from? What is authentic? Is, there, uh, is it a mixture of authentic and a little bit of steered? Is it all fabricated, all factory, factory assembled stuff just to be rolled out on us? Is it all Tavistock? We were talking about um, 
the fabled character Billy Shears, Paul, Paul McCartney. When did Paul leave? When did Billy come in? And we were talking about all of that with Mike Williams over the over the summer. Can't wait to have him on again tonight because I have some leftover questions, but I also want to talk about the machinery behind the illusion. He does a lot of great um, discussions on social engineering in that way. Mike, you there? I'm here, Frank. I ha- Okay, so I got your audio, but I have no video. Are we just going to go with audio tonight? Because that's fine. Uh, let me start the video. Oh, you're ba- y'all, you're <laughs> Sorry back. Sorry about that. No, it's it's listen, it's 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 really really great to have you back on, and I hope all's been well with you. How's your summer? It's been very good. Thank you. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad at all. It was hot. It was sticky. A lot of bugs. A lot of construction. But now we're coming out of it, and it's time to just you know it's harvest time. Now let's try to let's just let's just see what we planted. Let's see what comes back. Now you're a guy, you're a guy that that looks beyond what is just in front of us and tries to take a picture of the gears behind the face of the clock. Let me ask you just from the last time we spoke on the air, which was a couple of months ago, has there been anything, any new developments inside of your world of, of digging into digging into not only the Beatles, but just in general? I know that you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of really great experience in, in, this, um, in this, uh, this category of talk and, and research, so I just wanted to know how your last couple of months have been. It's 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 been good as far as the way I approach uh, things, Frank. You know, I don't really lose a lot of sleep over everything that's going on in the world. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a lot of pressing issues, but I come from a perspective that um, we are here to experience the experience and to learn from it, and it's about soul development. Now, that doesn't mean that you just roll over and you don't fight because part of that experience is to uh, is to is to fight, is to push up against uh, darkness, evil, and everything else that's going on in the world. Um, so, you know, on a day-to-day um, uh, cadence, I'm always going after this stuff because, as I mentioned in my last show with you, the first show, I have a blog, a long-running blog. It's been up over a decade so I'm constantly engaged in taking a look at what's going on in the world and uh, what's unfolding, you know. And uh, and based upon all the work that I have done in the past, getting into a better understanding of, of what goes on behind the curtain, you know, you it's a little easier to decode where you think they're going with this stuff. And you know, and 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 once you really do understand uh, their templates and their scripts, it, it's really not that hard. If you're paying attention. Uh, You know, you just said what's going on behind the curtain. I think that there's something very interesting happening right now where so much of the curtain has been pulled back that we're in a, for example, the first thing I think of is someone like uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, This guy, he is a uh, WEF toady. Um, He's out there. Pretty much saying all the, oh, the, he's one of the people out there saying all the quiet parts out loud, especially when he talks about the end of the human age. And um, uh, th- this was just a couple of weeks ago. He said something to the effect of that, that the al- that the human age is over and that the aliens would be coming, but it's not going to be aliens from another galaxy. He was talking about essentially a, a new kind of, new kind of, um, I don't know, a, uh, I, I said a predominant being on Earth that would essentially be born from laboratory, a new modified version of humanity. And, you know, 
when you talk about peering behind the curtain and looking into things like that, that's usually something that years ago, and when I say years ago, I mean like five or six years ago, you can tell somebody, listen, this is what they're planning. And they say, you're nuts. And now they come out and they're talking about modifying the uh, human beings and uh, taking away meat and for, you know, bug diets. And then, you know, the environmentalism and having people live in, in pods and giving up the whole idea of having a house and a children and all that stuff. And, and they're saying all these, these crazy things in public to now you have to convince people that, oh, well, well, it's not just symbolism this is not just performance art they're actually mean it so it's uh it's crazy that the, the curtain is gone but now you have to try to convince people that they're they're really speaking literally this is not figurative now yeah so that's exactly right so when we were talking about this years ago like you said people said we were nuts and now the people that we were saying were doing these things are now saying that they're doing these things and it's it's all out there and uh, you know what they're doing, in my opinion, is uh, they are conditioning the masses. So um, they keep t- like Yuval Harari keeps talking about uh, it, what it really is is transhumanism. I think he calls it techno humanism. And uh, his a big part of his spiel is that humans, and when he talks about humans, he's not talking about you and me and the audience. He's talking about the elite class are approaching godlike status. And so there's a lot of stuff that's implied in that. So there's technology involved in that. It's, it's just so much going on. And um, trying to get the public or the masses to get their their heads wrapped around godlike status and what that means is very difficult because they, they, they don't have the foundational understanding that you have or I have or others have that have been looking at this stuff for a long time. To, to have an understanding of the mechanics and how they have been, have been methodically and incrementally approaching this moment. They're at this moment now where they believe they have thrown the switch and they're marching toward 2030. That's a big, big milestone for them. Mm. So, I, you know, guys like Harari and others, even Klaus Schwab, when he gets up there and he, and he talks in his uh, James Bond you know, bad guy voice, um, that's conditioning. That's to essentially uh, put it out there. It's revelation of the method. That's one aspect of it. But they also know that most people are still not completely awake. There's still too many sleepwalkers. And they're not paying any attention to it. And by putting it out there and conditioning people to accept it, to hear it, to kind of, okay, I don't know what that what that means, but okay, fine. So, because people go back to their lives, they go back to taking care of the kids, going back to work, and doing whatever. Um, this is their way of revealing what they're doing. They're telling you what they're doing, and if you don't push back, if humanity doesn't push back, then that's looked at as consent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that that's really what they're doing right now. Um, so there's always a debate and an argument about, well, you know, do you think more people are awake than they were, let's say, you know, three years ago, five years ago? There are more people who are awake. But I'm not convinced, Frank, that we're really anywhere near a critical mass where we can really turn the ship around. I mean, I'm just giving you my honest 
response to a question like that. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to be pie in the sky on this stuff. I mean, you and I, at least I, me, I go out, I see what's going on. I see people already masked up. Mm. Did they not learn anything from three years ago? Right. Well, well, well right? To, to your point, to your point, it does. You can. There's something very concrete about being able to measure a an uptick in people who are interested in things that they, you know, things that would have been considered uh, nut jobbery to them a couple of years ago, and to be able to say, or at least make some conscious decisions of saying, I am no longer going to consume only the the media that comes to me over the television. I'm going to read books. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to do a little bit digging, and I'm going to keep an open mind. That is definitely shifting. The new media has broken that that apart, and it is it has created massive amounts of opportunity for people to essentially rehabilitate themselves but but in the same respect there is so much that has been done on the internet to keep people in uh in in bubbles and right. we're, we're all in you know from where we are we see a whole bunch of views on a certain type of a uh, video on rumble or on BitChute, and we're thinking wow wow this you know the, the, the more people are watching this than ever before we're we're, we're really winning but we're we're watching a whole lot of stuff inside of our own little terrarium over here, and the terrarium next to us, they're they're ODing on their own uh, outlook on the world. And so, I mean, we're making progress, but at the same time, we're also all becoming really, really embedded in our in our um, our positions. There's a difference too between watching something and doing something. Yeah. So a lot of people will watch, and um, it's almost I don't like saying this, but it's I call it conspiratainment they get drawn into the storylines and the discussion. Um, but to change, it's not about listening. You actually have to become kinetic. You have to do something. You have to change the way you go about your life. Um, it's going to start with small changes, obviously. Um, but what we need to do is to try to pull away from the machine as much as we can. It's it's difficult, I admit that, because uh, they run, control, and own just about everything that we interact and interface with outside of our homes, even inside our homes, you know. But uh, there's little things that we can start to do, you know. Um, one of the things that we can do is shut off the TV set, stop watching their stuff. Another thing that people can do, if it's possible, if you have the land, is to start to um, begin to grow your own food. This is something my wife and I have done. Um, you know, there's just things that we need to do. One of the one of their agendas that I'm I'm concerned about is the whole digital currency bit because uh, I I am convinced that most people have no idea of the implications of uh, a digital currency, central bank digital currency, and that's going to be an overarching controlling uh, lever and mechanism that they're going to have over the population if that goes through. But the way they're going to sell it is they're going to say, hey, don't worry about it. It's just going to be an even exchange. So you have a hundred U.S. dollars in the bank now in your bank account. We're going to give you one hundred, or the equivalent of one hundred New World Order uh, bitcoins or digital currency or whatever they're going to call yeah. it. And I think with that, what's going to happen is most people are just going to say, "Okay, oh, well, that's good. I'm not going to lose anything in this. All right, yeah, fine. I'm okay with that as long as." I have what I used to have, and you're not taking something away, then, yeah, I'm good to go. I, 
I think that that's the path they're going to take, and uh, that's going to suck a lot of people into accepting the central bank digital currency. Well, let me ask you this. Um, as it pertains to the Beatles um, and, and the entertainment side of things, which is, of course, the cultural side of things, are these people, do you believe, like when we talk about Yuval Harari and uh, Blofeld, his boss over there, the, uh, uh, the Schwab, uh, are these... Do you think that they've always been, are they just a, a different wing of the same massive corporation that they, they don't necessarily handle entertainment, but they're all, they've been working to this end in the uh, for, forever? Like the, the 1960s, when you start seeing these very, very uh, meticulously controlled counterculture movements in the United States that started with the, 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 the commandeered hippie movement and then, of course, women's liberation and all this other stuff that's going on socially that is tearing us away from more stable, traditional mores and values. Is, there a, um, is this what we were all eventually going toward? In the 60s, did they know that in about 60 or 70 years the, the goal was transhumanism? I think they did, Frank. Um, they may not have known uh, the extent of how the technology was going to evolve as quickly as it did. Maybe they did. Uh, but I think a lot of people that were the mouthpieces back then and, and talking about, um, really, it all evolved out of what is called the human potential movement. So the human potential movement said that humans are so much more capable of of, of accomplishing things and becoming something, um, transcending beyond, you know, rote activity, going to work and all this stuff and being hindered and, and shackled by traditional values, um, by traditional religions, uh, like the Abrahamic religions, Christianity specifically, because the, uh, the controllers, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, they, they had a, they put a big bullseye on Christianity going back to, uh, 1962. So um, it began that way as freeing humanity, unshackling them, breaking away from what they looked at as oppressive uh, ways of existing. And everybody was going to move to a point, going to the age of Aquarius, where there was going to be liberation. You were going to be able to uh, pursue your true will. This goes back to Alistair to uh, Alistair Crowley. And by the way, you, Yuval Harari, when he talks about that they are achieving godlike status, that goes back to Crowley. Crowley said that every man and woman is a star, or there, he also said that there is no God but man. So it, it's all tied in. So back in the 60s, you know, we had the, uh, the counterculture, and uh, they were making the break from the traditional values that, you know, we were accustomed to in society and culture into the back into the 1950s. Um, I don't think, uh, unless they were at the top of the pyramid or pretty close to the top of the pyramid, I don't, I don't sense that they really knew what this was going to look like 60 years later. Hmm. Like the entire technocracy. In fact, you know, there's, there's pieces of it where I think that some of the people that were involved in the counterculture, like a, a Willis Harmon, um, even to a certain degree, Theodore Adorno out of the Frankfurt School, uh, you know, when I when I do the research on these guys, I sense that they were actually trying to pursue this um, this new age where humans 
weren't shackled, that there was going to be this 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 liberation, um, the ability, like I said, to pursue your, your true will, not ha- not live in a society that was rules dictated, because that's where we're at now. Everything everything is we're, we're bound by rules, by right. laws. It, it's just, you know, it's suffocating. So those guys back then, um, they were part of the agenda, obviously, but I, I, I'm not convinced that uh, they they knew uh, what it was really going to end up like. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt as an example. You know, it's uh, it's something I've, I've talked about a lot, especially with um, you know other guests like Jay Jay Dyer. When we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the 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 concept of the Anglo American world order, those things like Cecil Rhodes, Lord Milner, the people who were active in Africa in the late 19th century and were really plotting what was going to you know Arthur Balfour, all these people who had an idea of what they wanted. They wanted to reconstitute. America as a British province and and look outward and how to how to really take control of the world and I I asked along the way you know when did the, the when did the, the 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 plan change you know along the way when did the plans change obviously all the economic interests the big banks they have not really changed hands they're all there all of the same you know political uh, organizations are there Everything is in place still, but at the same time, if it was really about, in this specific example, trying to uh, spread the, you know, reconstitute the British Empire to its former glory and all that, why stand by uh, migration practices that is going to flood even, you know, London with the African migrants that changes the face of the entire city or the 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 EU in general like where how did this ever become a part of the larger plan is it really just about erasure and but then how do you like how do you reclaim the 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 places that you wanted to always rule if you've you've submerged it in in debt and disease yeah. and and migration unchecked migration it's it's really uh, you know the, the the plan doesn't seem very well thought out but it must be going well according to somebody yeah i'll give you my thoughts on that um my first uh response would be that um again you know this is speculation that they built the mousetrap so all like we had the american industrial revolution which came after you know the the british industrial revolution um this was created uh to build wealth for them but it was also building a mousetrap and what i mean by that is it was building an infrastructure that we would become reliant upon work services retail all of that um so then you know in their minds they're thinking well we built it we can take it down that's that's one piece of it and then in their minds they're thinking well we'll deal with the um the aftermath we'll deal with the carnage that's that's going to result from going through this alice crowley said that going from the, the age of uh, the eon of horrors or the age of pisces to the uh, the age of aquarius or what he referred to as the eon of horrors was going to, was going to result in wars and tribulation so you know they had this concept in their head that this was not going to be a smooth transition whatsoever and um and also as i mentioned in the last show i, I won't go into great detail on this because we did talk about it but their concept of a new age is very different than what most people think the new age is going to be all about. It, the new age for them is all about them. 
not us. Okay. Now, when you go back to, we were talking about the, the American and the British elites, right? This goes back to a secret society that a lot of people don't know. And that's the, um, the pilgrims, pilgrim society. And they are made up of, um, uh, of industrialists and uh, bankers from um, the, the eastern part of, uh, of the United States. This would be, you know, the, the eastern elites, and they were connected into uh, to, in, into the British elites, going up to the crown, and um, you know they they were responsible for a, a lot of what was going on with the industrial revolution here in the United States. Now I'm going to say something that's that's going to probably sound very uh, controversial, but I think not not that the the Eastern elites or the Pilgrim Society. Um, were good guys. I'm not saying that at all. But there was another faction that entered into the game around World War II, and that was the Zionists. And so in my research, what I've what I've noticed what has happened, or at least what I have to, up to this point have deducted what happened was there was a merging of the Pilgrim Society elites of, of of the of the American establishment and the British establishment with the Zionist um, secret societies, and it was then that everything started to go into a tailspin. This is where we started to see a lot of the culture and our society take a nosedive. And like I said, you know, I'm probably going to be a little surprising to some people, um, but I'm just going by uh, the research I have done and the reading that I have, I have, uh, I have done to at least, I'm, I'm not saying I've come to this conclusion yet, but let's just put it this way. It is a hypothesis that this is possibly what happened, that ultimately the Zionists got the upper hand as far as control. And because it was them that got us into, uh, uh, you know, World War II, uh, it was them uh, that was behind Harry Truman. Um, you know, well, I don't know how, you know, well, I don't want to go on and on about this, but I think that that's a, a definite path uh, and an explanation as to, like I said, why things took a downward direction. Well, coming out of the 19th century, we like I said before, we out of that that uh, that Milner group, you you have the Balfour and the Balfour agreement and you know, there's a lot of different things aspects of that uh, that ring true to this this day and we're talking about not really that much more than a a century removed and it's it's all still within reach to be able to go back and and see how things have uh, have worked out and and as far as as far as um, societal changes you're talking about the you're talking about uh, you know what was really what's really being done at this point to bring us away from uh, a, a really uh, genuinely human experience well I just saw yesterday that there is someone said that within the next generation that we're going to be shifting to not just a not just a, a lesser a three and a half day to three day work week because of AI now when you think about the the diminishing of human experience 
you say, okay, well, how would AI make a five-day or even a six-day work week, depending on what job you have and what it demands of you, into a three-day one? What are you doing with those other days? Uh, I mean, are you out there working the field? It's like, no, this is, we're talking about uh, a sedentary, almost like a, a, a technocratic sedentary lifestyle where you are going to be fed some kind of food taken care of you're going to be on the dole i mean what kind of a society what does this turn us into and uh, it, it seems that we have been slowly disengaged from the future and slowly phased out of the future plans of humanity and i mean this this uh this could be tied back to a whole number of things and i i I just want to talk about maybe that just a little bit more because I think that is what's behind the mechanics of how we were discussing the Beatles conspiracy, which is a uh, one of many fronts because the Beatles weren't the only bands coming up, the only band coming up in the 1960s and 70s, but they were certainly one of the more most prominent and famous of all time. So, um, yeah, well, you know what? Let's just do that a little bit, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions about the band that came in from the audience. Uh, for example, let me see here. Laurel Canyon, the machine behind the Beatles, all that stuff. Uh, can you talk a little bit about talk a little bit about other synchronicities outside of that one band that you have focused in on in the past? This this uh, this undeniable link between military intelligence and uh, and, and Western socio industrial power that is uh that's really prominent throughout that that very transformative time the 60s the 70s which pretty much hit restart for where we are right now yeah so they they've had a plan uh, to move to this new age and that's been on the drawing board for a long time um again not to sound like a broken record but it goes back to alistair crowley and his principles and his uh book of the law and uh departing these this this old Eon, the Eon of Horus, the Age of Pisces, which was uh, rules-laden and restrictive and shackled humans to this new Eon, the Eon of Horus. And so they had to do a lot of work to make the changes in order to break people from the values and the morals and such that was keeping society together going back prior to the 1960s. And I think I said in the last show, I put 1960 as a stake in the ground, even though I know that the social engineering was taking place before that. But starting in 1960, that's when the pedal hit the metal with Hollywood, the bands, and so on. And um, so they were not concerned about uh, the adults. They were not concerned about the, the parents or the grandparents because they knew that the chances that they were going to be able to change their thoughts, um, their approach to life, their morals and ethics was pretty much nil. So uh, who do they focus on? They focus on the young people, the young generation. So the Beatles were really the, uh, the first major psychological operation from a, a music perspective, from a pop music perspective. And, um, but there were many others like you mentioned frank you know so here in the united states we had laurel canyon and uh, the laurel canyon was um was a hot bed of musicians and singers um, that cropped up a lot of them were basically grown out of the laurel canyon scene 
Um, and they were created and nurtured and handled by the military industrial complex, um, and, and notably the CIA. And, and one of the things that we have to we have to understand is that when we talk about Tavistock and we talk about the CIA, uh, even though they're two separate entities on paper, this everything is connected. From an internationalist perspective, all of these groups work together. Um, as an example, uh, Tavistock is connected at the hip with the Rockefeller Foundation. Right, so. Um, they all got together and said, well, we've got to uh, shake this thing up and uh, we have to get a whole different approach, a whole different mindset going forward. And um, I think I also mentioned in the last show that the controllers are occultists. So when they do things, they do it according to occultism. So they're looking at, you know, um, their magic, their rituals, their ceremonies, they're looking at astrology, they're looking at tarot, uh, they're looking, you know, they create sigils. This is what they do. And, uh, you know, that's just, just a fact. And the numbers and so on. And so with all of this, um, they essentially created these psychological operations uh, in order to create Pied Pipers, to lead people down a certain path, their path. And that's why I refer to the Beatles as the Pied Pipers of the Eon of Horus, because that's what they they were, and they still are. Hmm. Uh, now, now you, you know you're talking about they, there's there's a lot coming out of that era. I mean, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, oh yeah. The Birds, uh, Buffalo Springfield, even the Mamas and the Papas. There, there, there's a lot happening, and of course there is that just craziness that. You can't say it's a coincidence that there's so many connections to military intelligence, to any kind of psychological operations and experiments that are going on, and so many of the people, direct relations, we're talking about parents, uncles, uh, siblings, it's it's really, really something else. And this is a major time of flux. Uh, These were emerging uh, heroes in young Americans' lives at the time. And it's not not to take away from any of the tunes that are put out there. Some of the greatest uh, musical compositions of all Yeah, it's great music. Um, But it it just makes you think. And, you know, you're talking about the occultism. And I was wondering about this. Uh, They... What is it about, in your perspective, because I love to ask this of all of my astrology guests and whatnot, but what is it about numerology, numbers and celestial movement, all of that, um, as it pertains to the occult, Freemasonry, etc., specifically the 911 numerology? Like, why numbers and celestial alignments? Why do they create uh, opportunities for people who already have all the power and all the resources. I, I always come around to this question with people. I mean, it's, it's one thing for someone like me wanting to get ahead and wanting to maybe tap into some kind of unseen power source out there and, and maybe make myself a million dollars somehow. But people who already have all the money and all the influence control all the institutions, why are they still looking to numbers and the sky to coordinate their movements? Because it's the occultism that keeps them in power it's what brought them to power and it's what keeps them in power so um the way the occultist looks at numbers frank um numbers in their view have vibrational energy and many of us have probably heard this term math is the language of the universe 
So what is what is math? Math is numbers. So they believe that um, each number holds a unique energy, and um, and they can trace the numerology back to um, to Pythagoras, who was I think he was considered the first Freemason as well. So in their minds, uh, numbers hold mystical properties, and um, they could gain insights into the workings of the universe. And also that numbers hold the key to understanding um, the order of the universe. Now, this is going to sound probably crazy to some people, but what I always uh, explain to my audience is uh, what we want to believe doesn't really matter because we're not controlling anything right now. They are. It's what they believe. And, you know, and and these numbers and their occultism, it goes back to the ancient mysteries when the adepts had this information and uh it's information that you know the profane that's what they refer to us as the profane will never have that's why it's such a struggle to to get the ship uh upright uh, even when you look at numbers right when you want to understand numerology and, and gematria um if you go do the research it's all over the map it's very difficult to get a grip on, well, what does this number really mean and that number? And, uh, you know, and I've been at this for a while and I've concluded that um, there is really no one definition of a number. A, a number can have uh, various um, definitions based upon intent, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it, in my work, what I've done is... Uh, the Beatles work has helped me a lot with this because there's numbers all around the Beatles. And so I, as I was doing my research, I would see the number nine. Well, what does the number nine mean? Uh, well, the number nine is transformation change. It's endings. Uh, we see the number 10, that's that's beginnings. Um, we see the number seven around the Beatles all the time. You know, the number seven represents uh, perfection and spiritual enlightenment. Um, now, of course, when we talk about spiritual enlightenment and the number seven around the Beatles, we're talking in terms of how the the occultists, the controllers behind the Beatles, as an example, pick any other band. Um, it's it's their definition of transcendence. It's their definition of enlightenment and illumination. It's not necessarily what we think as of as illumination and um, and enlightenment. You know, mm. and uh, as for astrology, you know, I'm not an astrologist, and uh, my wife is much better at this. But the way I look at astrology is I'm, I'm probably going to approach this a little too simplistic, but it is a, a view of um, as above, so below. So they look at, at astrology as a form of divination. It's, it's a way to be able to foretell what could happen. And by having an understanding of what could happen, um, they're able to put plans in place to either mitigate circumvent protect themselves you know stuff like that yeah uh if we go back to um ronald reagan i don't know if you remember this but um reagan caught a lot of heat because his wife nancy reagan had said that uh, they had an astrologer that uh that they tapped into to help them to help ronald reagan to run the presidency and I remember the papers had come out at the time, and it, you know they they made it sound like tomfoolery because when people talk about astrology, many times they think in terms of a horoscope online or years ago it used to be in a newspaper, but that's not it at all. 
And uh, in fact, astrology is extremely complicated, very complex. And um, so th these are tools that they have. This is when I talked about the, the mysteries and uh, the, the hidden knowledge. This is the, the hidden knowledge that they have, that they have, that they possess. And uh, are they right all the time? I don't think they're right all the time. But, you know, to, to have this knowledge and to have these tools, at least in their minds, is a, a way for them to, to plan, uh, yeah, to navigate their agenda, to get their agenda implemented. I hope it, I answered your question. No, no, it it's it's uh it is uh, it's a it's a good answer. It's a good answer, and and it's it, it's pretty similar to the other answers that I've I've received. Um, and not to say that it's, you know, it's a solid answer. I think I, what I'm always trying to do is is bring a little bit more of a. I want to ar have somebody articulate to me what they believe the actual draw, the power is behind doing things on a certain. Like, I'll I'll bring up the example of. I know from all of my friends who work in ERs and hospitals that on a full moon they are they are ready for craziness in in the ER. We, they know that we know that more babies are born on nights that the the moon is full. That people are just acting out. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that we are just. It, it, I know that the moon affects us physically, so there is there is something there whether you want to call it magnet, magnetism, gravity, whatever the hell it is, so we are affected, there is a connection. So um, it doesn't really, um, I don't see a, a reason why being able to see the celestial alignment of planets and stars wouldn't in some way create a daisy chain to come down here uh, and, and affect life on Earth too. And then, of course, over the over the course of thousands of years to be able to pick up patterns of of you know what has happened on that date and time uh what to take advantage of what to uh what to avoid so i can i can see i can see how that science would build up over time for those who are charting it and taking note i just want somebody to be able to say this is exactly the energetic conditions that are built up at this time to affect this date so, yeah, I, we're getting there, but it's, it, it definitely makes sense to me. Let me ask you a couple of questions that came from the audience, just about the Beatles here, too. Yeah. The first one comes in, says, what was the point of the Beatles with respect to the stones in the plan of people running these psyops? So I, I, I guess, what was the point of balancing the Beatles against the stones? The different audiences. So the Beatles were considered the, the good boys, the more clean-cut band and the uh, the stones were considered to be the bad boys of rock and roll so um the way they approach this uh, tavistock the cia you know they know that uh different people have different tastes different leanings so they're going to put you know basically a menu of uh, of bands out there that are going to appeal to different segments of the population however whether it be folk music, whether it be the Beatles, the Stones, or whatever, uh, the the, um, the psychological operations, the social engineering initiatives with these bands, all have the same objective, which is to steer people in a specific direction. You know where they want um, the population to go. So that's basically it in a nutshell with the Stones and and the Beatles. I mean, there was always this like a. Uh, uh, rivalry between the bands I, I knew this when i was growing up you were a beatles fan or you were a stones fan and all that stuff but at the end of the day it didn't really matter because uh there is an agenda behind both and all of these other bands 
that you know people worship. It's really what it comes down to, too. It's idol worship. They um, people look at these uh, these bands and these artists like gods, and uh, they're cults, really. Well, so I, that's the thing. Tavistock has Tavistock. One of Tavistock's big levers, Frank, is to create cult mentality. And what better way to do it than you know through music and entertainment? Well, there's always going to be the fanatic, uh, the fanatic class of uh, of people who who follow a band who are really they just go all in and they uh, they assume a different identity. It's like it was like their life before a band and then their life after the band. And it's like been melded into their identity. And I could see how that become uh, that becomes idolatrous. On the other hand, I would have to say the majority of people are just fans of the audible work. And I I just wonder, there's nothing that I I would never question the fact that once a band reaches uh, a a certain level of popularity, that there is going to be every type of special interest that is looking to get in on steering that power and that influence towards something that is going to promote an overall a a, a much larger agenda and uh, and hopefully rope them into doing contract work for the rest of their lives as you know as slaves essentially but i think what some people are maybe get a little are, are, are just to have that has a sticking point when we have these conversations with you is that every aspect you're saying that every aspect of these bands was inauthentic came together was really lab created there was nothing about these these uh uh, the, these bands that were authentic, that they were really all just created in a, in a lab for this specific purpose. That is something that people are having a hard time with. Well, that's not what I'm saying, though. So okay. the music industry is controlled, okay? So um, that doesn't mean every artist or every band that gets signed is uh, is a fabrication. So there are going to be bands that are completely fabricated. Let, let's pick one. Let's pick an easy one. The Monkees. Okay? Mm -hmm. They're fabricated. They put albums out. Studio musicians played. They sang on the records. Um, but what happens is the music industry itself is completely controlled by the controlling apparatus. So there's going to be an agenda in which these bands, these, you know, managed by the record labels are go, are expected to move and they're expected to go from here to there. And so it's the presentation. It's it's the way the bands are packaged. Um, like I said, not, not every musician is not playing on the recorded tracks. This is another thing people will say. Are you saying that it's studio musicians on all recordings, rock recordings? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, you know, once the 1980s began, a lot of the studio players joined bands so they're clearly on the record jimmy page was a studio musician eric clapton was a studio musician they're obviously playing on their records but there were other bands that were not and i i put the beatles in that category they were not on uh many other recorded tracks they you know and people want to argue with me but i have put forth the evidence on it and i feel comfortable and 100 percent sure that that's where it's at so it's the machine that puts them together that packages it. it the packaging could be the album cover with the with the uh occult symbolism it's the way the band is presented it's the way they dress it's the hairstyle it's the genre of music it's all of this stuff 
that is what's shaping people. Now you can love a band. People always come back to me. Oh, it can't be my band, Mike. Can't be the the Doobie Brothers, as an example. And I love the Doobies, by the way, the old Doobies. But again, it's how they are packaged by the label, by management, to to incrementally step the population towards the the goal line. You know, so. Um, and if you take a look at a lot of these bands, we talked about Laurel Canyon. Take a look at the, uh, you know, the the military backgrounds of a lot of these, a lot of these bands. Zappa, uh, Jimi Hendrix was in the military. Jim Morrison's father was the admiral involved in the uh, Gulf of Tonkin incident that, be- that kicked off the Vietnam War. Uh, you know, so that's what I'm saying. Uh, I hope okay. I, I hope I'm making sense. No, no, it, it does. It does. I understand what you're saying. Um, uh, there's other things here. Uh, now, when it comes to Pete Best, uh, here's a question that came in. Frank, what about Pete Best? Was he offered the Faustian bargain or just cut to make room for Ringo, who was the stealth handler? Uh, it, it, do you think that Ringo was the the stealth handler of the band, number one? And what happened with Pete Best there? No, uh, Pete... Um... Ringo wasn't the handler. When we look at the Beatles, we have to look at everybody has a role. There's a cast of characters. And I'm going to give you my opinion. Pete had his role. And Pete's role was to be there in the beginning. His mother, Mona Best, ran the Casbah Club when the Beatles were the quarry men and they were playing in, in the basement of Mona and Pete's house because that's where the Casbah Club was. And... Uh, before the Beatles had their first manager, Alan Williams, it was Pete that was scheduling the gigs. So, you know, Pete had his role in all of this. Um, that's how I look at it. And because he didn't, because he didn't make out, didn't achieve the status of the other Beatles, you know, that wasn't his role. That's how I look at it. You know, mm. it's like it's like when you write a script for a movie. Not every, every character in the movie is going to be the starring role. There's going to be a cast of supporting actors. And the way I look at Pete is he's one of the uh, the su- supporting characters in the uh, the theater production called The Beatles. That's a good way. Uh, that's a good way of putting it. As far as uh, as far as everybody playing little what you would think is inconsequential roles that actually really do fill in the overall timeline of events, and I, th- that's something I'd actually never even think about. That's why I love the uh, the the um, the questions that come in from the audience because I wouldn't have spent any time even asking about Pete Best. But here's one about George. This says, uh, Frank, what about George? He was always depicted as being a distant third to Lennon and McCartney, but he was there at the beginning, so he had to be in on this thing in some way, or at least uh, his suspicions had to be raised at some point. What do you think about that? Yeah, George was, he was perfectly aware of what was going on to the degree that any of them were aware of the bigger picture. So the way we have to look at this is the Beatles were never, uh, they were never made privy to the ultimate goal and objective. We have to remember that they were just young guys. When they got started in Hamburg, George was 17 years old in August of 1960. He was just a young kid. So as the band got brought along, they're thinking, hey, this is how it works. 
so we have Alan Williams managing us, and then Brian Epstein's managing us, and then you know we're working with uh, with George Martin, who was their producer uh, for e EMI, the Parlophone label. Um, so they they were not clued in into the big big picture. They were told certain things. They were told, well, you know, we're going to work with you, and big things are going to happen. You guys are going to be famous. It's going to be great, and so on. And then you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. That sounds great. I'm in a band and I'm going to be what? The most popular band of all time? You know, what What kid, whether you're a guy or a gal, is going to look at that and say, yeah, I don't want any part of that. Hmm. Right? They're going, to, they're going to say, hey, yeah. Yeah, give me some more. So I think that as time went on, what happened was they started to figure out what, what was really going on under the hood. And... Um, a couple times, you know, they got a little vocal, um, said a couple of things, and, um, you know, they could only say so much. And I think that, you know, they knew that if they said too much that you know, it wasn't going to be good. You know, um, John Lennon in particular, uh, John dropped a lot of clues over time um, about it was all over for the Beatles once they got signed, once they got, once they were put in suits. This is what he was, he said in an interview, I think with Rolling Stone magazine going back into the early 1970s. It's a, I have the audio uh, recording of it. So, you know, they, they started saying things like that and you start to get the gist that, okay, well, you know what? It's, they're not all happy campers. And I think once Paul departed, biological Paul in 1966, yeah, I think that was kind of a, a moment where they started to realize, you know what, this is uh, this is a lot more serious. Well, you, well, let me ask you because we're running we're running out of time, and I have a couple more questions. So, r r like lightning round, what happened? Uh, what happened with biological Paul? Was was in your uh, opinion, was he offed? Was he sent away to have a? Uh, I don't know, have a vacation somewhere else under an assumed identity? Did he change his nose? What happened to biological Paul? my opinion based upon my research frank he's gone okay i think he died and uh the way he died you know the prevailing theory is it was a car crash but i do not discount that it was just an outright uh ritual sacrifice ritual sacrifices happen all the time in the music and entertainment industry and, and why the sacrifice because in the minds of the occultists this solidifies the success of what it is that they were putting forth the social engineering initiative the psychological operation this is what they do they make the packs they make the deal with the devil the faustian bargains and we could take a look at other uh uh band members brian jones of the rolling stones the same thing john bottom of led zeppelin keith moon of the who i mean we can go on and on and on and on and on about uh, looking at various bands, famous bands, and uh, people, band members that are no longer with us anymore. Not all of them die at the age of uh, 27. They're not all in the 27 club. You're right. So that's what I think happened to Paul. Um, I, I don't. He's not with us anymore. Um, that's my view. Still, it really brings a lot back to that first conversation we had when you were we were you were sketching out for us the whole idea and the whole story of Billy Shears. 
how I asked you, well, was he was he a clone? Uh, what was this? And you said no. I, you said that you believe this is a guy who went through certain types of uh, body alterations and 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 really just uh, worked on himself. That is a lot of dedication to step into the role of obviously yes that the, maybe the allure of fame and fortune and to have that kind of you know to to play the role of somebody who's in the hall of fame and and all that but after a while um you, you look in the mirror and you say to yourself what the hell's going on and when am i going to have any kind of credit of my own and yeah even no matter how many side projects or solo projects i do uh, i'm i'm working under somebody else's identity and uh, from what you're saying right here, there's also living with the the knowledge of that person may have been offed. So you have to you have to behave for the rest of your life as well because now now they're just in their 80s. I mean, they can just go for any reason. So it's uh, that's that's pretty. I, I'd be living on pins and needles if I were Billy Shears. We have to realize too that. Billy is just, he's not just a nobody. He's not somebody they picked up off the street and said, hey, you know, you want to do this role? We're going to do a lot of plastic surgery and so on. Uh, Billy is well-connected into the elite system. And uh, in fact, I just had an interview with uh, uh, a researcher, Stacy, and uh, she did a lot of work taking a look at his family tree. And if Stacy is correct, then his bloodline is uh, is big time, blue blood, aristocratic. Really? So what does that? Yes. So so what does that tell us? That tells us that if he's in the aristocratic, one of the aristocratic families, uh, this type of thing where they're going to put one of their own in a very powerful position of influence. Well, they're going to do that. Because it's all about them controlling. It's all about them having their people where they need them to be in order to push the agenda forward. So just so you know, a lot of people are probably go not going to recognize these names. But uh, Stacy believes that his lineage comes from the Douglas Hamilton bloodline out of Scotland on his father's side and the Percy bloodline, which is a very powerful uh, bloodline from a uh, uh, maternal perspective on his mother's side. So the Douglas Hamiltons and the Percy's. And um, the presentation, if anybody's interested, is up on my uh, Paul is Dead YouTube channel and also my main YouTube channel. It's well worth a look, Frank, because uh, Stacy did an unbelievable job. Now, okay. Is she like, is she, you know, is she right? Well, I don't know, but I could tell you that her research is extremely compelling. And it would say that Billy just, you know, he did not just get pulled by the scruff of his neck and pulled in. That he was, uh, he was uh, tapped very early on in his life to be in a position of influence and power. And, um, you know, so when we talk about plastic it's, surgery and all that stuff, yeah, but you know, you you look at somebody, you look at somebody, uh, their endeavors with plastic surgery to go out there and um, try to, I don't know, tailor the the people who just want it to look a little bit younger, end up looking, I don't know, distorted. Uh, let alone they go into a, you know, they go into a surgeon's office saying, "I want to look like this man right here." Uh, it's just when I think about the 
the kind of twinning up between the Billy Shears uh, character and also um, Paul McCartney, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. I want to keep talking about it, but we were running out of time, so I want to ask you something else. Uh, just to get away from this subject just a little bit more and to, to end on a little more general note, um, you've spent a lot of time in the past interviewing uh, the great Jordan Maxwell. Yeah. Um, Years ago, yeah. Yeah, I, I've listened to some of those, and you know we're pretty big fans of Jordan Maxwell's speeches and his radio appearances and all that. So uh, what I want to end with tonight is, is there anything in particular, since we're talking about Hollywood, he's very big on de-occulting Hollywood and entertainment and all that. Is there anything in particular that he had told you about in the past that would give you a, that what you would say is especially prescient right now? Yeah. Well, it was an interview I put up uh, going back a few months ago that I held on to for a long time. I actually recorded it back and I think it was 2013. I didn't release it because Jordan, after we did the show, he contacted me and he says, hey Mike, could you do me a favor? Don't put that interview out there. One of the reasons was because he was in a legal battle with uh, a group uh, that was keeping him from making a living uh, because Jordan wound up signing a contract with this group, I'll just say a group, I think it was a guy or two, uh, to help manage his brand. But what happened was they ended up owning his brand. Mm. And so when we uh, we did the show, uh, he said, you know, I shouldn't talk about certain things, and uh, so, but he did. And so I held on to it. And after he passed away, um, I decided that, you know, I, I would release the uh, the interview um, and Jordan was not upbeat. He was not very positive about humanity. And this is going back 10 years ago. I think it was a 2013 interview. So, I mean, comments on the on the YouTube channel were saying, oh, he's, he was negative, he was this, he was that. And I had to remind everybody, you know what? This was a guy that was in the business looking at this stuff for over 50 years. Mm. And he had a level of frustration that I know that you go through sometimes, that I go through, uh, where you're not seeing the ball moving downfield. And uh, where he left off was, you know, unless people wake up, wake up, this is not going to end well. And I don't want to end on such a negative note, but you asked me, it, that that was, uh, you know, that was his, his view of things. Um, a lot of times he wanted to be very upbeat, um, but there were times when he kind of, you know, he just came out and spoke his mind, like what he was really thinking. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I can imagine that. I I can imagine that. Uh, not necessarily fatalistic, um, but when you see it's that, frustration. Yeah, it's he frustration because you can you can see that there are we are living out one of those choose your own destination books. And there are choices to be made along the way, but as uh, you know, one of his fortes, uh, his main forte, uh, Jordan Maxwell, is showing how our ability to choose, uh, make choices to, uh, to to go into the future and into better, more productive, pro-human uh, directions. Those choices are taken away from us by the way that we are kind of you know when the 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 veil is put over our eyes and and we are led in one direction or another and we kind of uh through uh we're we're just we're just surrendering our power 
all the time in very right. subconscious ways. So I can see that. I can see that, especially when your your main um, your main objective is to try to throw up a red flag, a signal flare, try to get people to pay attention to something else before it's too late. But we are, um, like we said, to open up when the Hararis of the world are just throwing the curtain open and saying, we are going to turn you all into cyborgs. I mean, that is, it's, uh, th- what goes beyond that? I don't know. Mike Williams, uh, let everybody know where you broadcast, what th- is next on your release schedule, sageofquay.com. You've got the a couple of YouTube channels. Let everybody know where to find you, and I can't wait to have you back on. Yeah, just go to my hub website, folks. It's sageofquay.com, and all of my links to all of my platforms, my music as well is there and um yeah come visit and take a listen well you do a lot of great work you i see you making a lot of great cameo appearances and all that so i've you you become one of my my uh go-to guys to check in on from time to time so i'm glad we became friends here thank you frank i i appreciate you having me back on the show all right we'll do it again soon thank you for everything Thank you. All right, there you go. That is Mike Williams, Sage of Quay. Now, I had a a little bit of a time constraint tonight, as it was the first time he was on, so that's why it's like a part two. But very interesting stuff, and I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper because, of course, it started with one band, and then it spread out into an industry, and then we go above and beyond. Now, I have a couple of birthday shout-outs that I'm going to save for tomorrow because I don't want to rush them, and I want to get to our Super Chats. Jay Semo says, uh, question, why wasn't the motivation for the marketing of the bands just pure capitalism, not social engineering? Well, I save that for right now uh, because, well, A, we're running out of time, but B, but I think I can handle that one. Uh, money is easy. I, well, that's what we were saying before. Why, why is it that they have ritual? Why, why so much value in ritual in the the alignment of celestial bodies why uh, on dates and times and 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 stuff like that why pay attention to ritualistic things when you can just buy your way to success they have all the money they have all the resources it is about social engineering um capitalism so-called capitalism which we're going to have robin mccutcheon on sometime soon to talk about the concept of capitalism and how it was actually a concept created by the enemy but um it is all about engineering society. So I think that is the the answer inside of the question. Thank you so much, Jay. And Jay also sends another one saying, we love Mike. Watch his show all the time. And this was all kicked off by Dan Schumann with a very generous rumble rant. And uh, he said, let's do a little battle of the bands. What's your favorite? Here's mine. Let's see what he sent out. Is it? Yes, it's Pink Floyd. So Dan Schumann giving a big Pink Floyd F you to the Beatles. Uh, I wonder what everybody else put in the chat room. But thank you to everybody on Foxhole. Witchy Poo says happy birthday to me and my happy anniversary. Uh, Happy birthday to me. Thank you. Oh, Witchy. Happy birthday. Well, that's one birthday wish that got in. There's three others I have to save till tomorrow. And happy anniversary to Vespar. Vespar 007. Happy anniversary. Robert Sarnes says kudos to Tracy, who got a shout-out from General Flynn. Well, she can text General Flynn whenever she wants. They are uh, very close. Doug Simi, thank you. Witchy again, thank you so much. NJSF, I'm sure we're going to see uh, NJSF in uh, in um, book club that's about to start any second now. 
CJM61. Captain Flint. Witchy Poo says again, uh, birthday cookies for everybody. Wow. Boys Blanc, Sean Joe, Paulie says your guest is full of crap. I've read all of Crowley's amazing, great work. That's from Paulie9363. Wow. Again, he says profane means you haven't read the books. Well, uh, Paulie's in a mood tonight. I do want to hear criticisms, though. I, I do want to hear people who don't buy it. I want I want to hear your arguments and your questions, and and that, uh, that's why ultimately I, I'm trying to figure some things out with Zoom over here. There's got to be a way that I can take calls with a guest on. There has to be. It's the last piece of the puzzle for me. I need to be able to do questions with guests on. I have to be able to do it. And Zoom just does not allow it, and it's just so stupid, and i got to find a way to at least through a cross-platform fix be able to make this happen where everybody can hear each other. And I just, it's the last big, it's like a last of a big generation of questions for taking calls and and, and adding more people to the show. Uh, And Porpoiseful and Sean Joe level it all out. Thank you guys on Foxhole. There's plenty going on tonight on Foxhole. That'll be uninterrupted, the after hours programming, while I'm doing an hour with the book club. Hello Kitty says, hi Frank. All this BS goes back to the cartoons we watched as kids. The bad guy always said, I'm going to rule the world. Yes, but after a while, I mean, for at least for a long while, there was always a good guy to say, not on my watch, and then stops them. Now, what is very uh, consistent throughout the world, whether it's Dr. Claw or anybody else from, you know, uh, in detect, uh, Inspector Gadget, um, you, you can foil the bad guy's plans, but they usually get away and try again. So that's something that um, that's something that we have grown accustomed to seeing these days. And Stostoop says, great Monday, Frank. Locking off the week just right. Locking? You mean kicking off? Kicking off the week just right, my good man. Thank you. Well, I hope I hope it was uh, entertaining for you all. Uh, tomorrow we'll do a little bit more. I don't know. Grab baggy things, and I have some some topics I can bring to you for calls. It'll be nice. And then we have great guests for the rest of the week. Great guests indeed. Who we have on Wednesday night? It's going to be uh, incredible history. The incredible history account on Twitter. That's all I know. Incredible History will be on with us on Wednesday night. Kim Russo, Psychic Medium, will be on with us on Thursday, October 5th. And then October 6th, Jay Gulinello and Matt will be in here. We'll be talking a little bit about the what happened at the retreat. I want to talk about organs and glands. <laughs> That's going to be great. And many, many more. Many more things. Next week, we're going to kick off with uh, Columbus Day. Alaric the Barbarian, Columbus Day, Age of Exploration. It's going to be great. And uh, Wandering Wolf, Michael Collins, who called in from Wandering Wolf Channel. He's the one who found the what could have been potentially megalithic structures in Montana. Um, well, he's going to be in studio with me on, on October 10th. That, that, uh, that Tuesday, October 10th. It might be a shorter show, but he's going to be in studio because he's passing through. Uh, the Northeast to be able to ca- capture some really great New England fall scenery 
for some of their upcoming releases on the Wandering Wolf YouTube channel. And it's going to be great because I just found out that he is going to be a father. He, he posted a picture on his YouTube the other day uh, with, I, I uh, assume, is his wife with a positive pregnant pregnancy test. So that's going to be great to have him uh, in studio and to chill out and talk about his time in Easter Island, which he, he filmed a little something for us. I've been waiting to, to show you all. So we'll do all that. Doesn't it sound great? Okay. Well, that's all I have for you right now, ladies and gentlemen. You've been wonderful to me, and tomorrow is another chance to hang out together. So um, with that, I will talk to you soon, and that's all. All right. Good night, ladies and gents. Oh, wait. I did not pick an outro. There you go. That's it. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll see you later. I'll catch you on the flip side. Wife Brankley is filmed before our live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Hello Kitty, Stostube, Jay Semo, and Dan Schumann. Wonderful to have you all with me tonight. I can't wait for tomorrow. And for those of you who are reading along for the Godfather Book Club, I'll see you afterwards. You got your special exclusive link sent to you if you're a monthly subscriber. So jump in and have a good time.